Section 35 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 The Evidence from the Constitution of Colonial or Compound Animals. Part 2. In all zoophytes, the component units of the colony belong to one type. Whatever their function, they are modeled on the type of the hydra and on that of the ordinary nutritive members of these animal trees. Even the jellyfish buds just mentioned are but modifications of the hydra type. This interesting and important feature in their history is proved by the fact that, when their generative functions have been discharged, they may revert to the form of the nutritive members of the colony. We know, lastly, of cases in which a zoophyte colony may number no fewer than seven apparently different types of members, these units, notwithstanding the diverse functions they perform, exhibiting a fundamental agreement in type and structure. There is seen, therefore, a close parallelism between the repetition and modification of parts in the colonial zoophytes, and the vegetative repetition of the leaves and buds of the tree. The flustras, or sea mats, illustrate a slightly different phase of colonial relationship in animals from that presented by the zoophytes. We have seen that each member of the zoophyte colony exists in intimate structural relationship and connection with every other unit of the compound organism. But in the sea mats, each of which presents us with the appearance of a piece of pale brown seaweed bearing on either side its hundreds of little cells, each containing a little tenant, the individual animals of the colony do not communicate with each other. On the contrary, each member of the sea mat colony is perfectly distinct from all its neighbors, and lives enclosed in its separate domicile. But for the union of its cell wall with the walls of other cells, each little CMAT unit is a thoroughly independent being, and even the so-called colonial nervous system, which was long believed to connect the members of the fraternity in a common bond of sensitiveness, has been proved to be non-existent. It is highly interesting, therefore, to find that compound animals may, like the zoophytes, possess their individual or component units in close structural harmony and relationship, or may, on the other hand, like the sea mats, exhibit a collection of animals, each of which is thoroughly independent of its neighbors. That such differences have not originated in any haphazard fashion, but that they are a veritable result of the tendencies of development, is readily enough proved. For whilst each member of the zoophyte stock is in free and full nutritive cooperation with its neighbors, each CMAT unit preserves within its own cell not merely a perfect digestive apparatus, but a nervous system and reproductive or egg-producing organs as well. The independence of the CMAT's members has been accompanied by the development of a much higher organization than is found in the interdependent zoophyte units, although, of course, such a statement of fact still leaves the origin and cause of the independence of the higher CMAT units an open question. But in its manner of growth, the latter colony resembles the zoophyte. Each unit has the power of adding to the colony by the process of budding already described, whilst each member of the colony possesses, likewise, the power of giving origin to eggs. Each egg, undergoing its full development, produces first one primitive unit, and thereafter and from this unit develops, by budding, a whole colony, with its hundreds of component and similar beings. There exist in the ranks of that curious class of beings, the internal parasites, certain interesting examples of the compound animal form. A tapeworm, for instance, 
inhabiting the digestive tract of some warm-blooded quadrupeds, and attaining a length, it may be, of many yards, consists of a very minute head, a slender neck, and many hundreds of so-called joints. At first sight, these joints might be regarded as resembling in their nature those of the ordinary worms, and as therefore possessing no distinct individuality on their own account, or separate from that of the organism of which they form part. But the examination of the joint of a tapeworm shows us that in reality it preserves a separate and apparent individuality of its own. In other words, it is not merely a part of one animal in the sense that the joint of a backbone is part of a fish or bird. It corresponds, on the contrary, with a member of the zoophyte or CMAT colony, in that it represents a highly specialized and individualized unit of an organism, that organism being of compound nature. Each joint of the tapeworm contains a complete set of egg-producing organs and presents other indications of its semi-independent character and constitution. Connected to its neighboring joints by water vessels as well as by nerve cords, the joint is in intimate union with the other units of the colony, but it is nevertheless a distinct unit after all, and the tapeworm is not a single animal, but, like the sea mat and zoophyte, a colonial organism. Amongst other and true worms, however, we find curious instances of development which, in our consideration of the origin of the conditions we are studying, may serve to elicit some valuable hints concerning the causation of colonies at large. The little river worms, known as the Naididae, occasionally exemplify certain peculiar modes of reproduction which deserve careful study. Aeneas may be seen to exhibit a slight constriction towards the posterior part of its body. As this constriction deepens, a new head, eyes, and tentacles are seen to be formed at the spot in question, and a second naeus is thus viewed budding from the hinder extremity of the original individual. This new being, produced thus by the division of the parent body, sooner or later becomes detached therefrom and seeks an independent existence. Cases have been observed in which as many as six new individuals have been produced from a single naeus. In Serhatula, another worm genus, Mueller relates that he found three new individuals adherent in one length. The mother, he remarks, quote, had thirty pedate segments. The youngest daughter, or that nearest the mother, had eleven, but the head was not yet developed. The most remote had seventeen rings, with both head and eyes, and, moreover, the tail of the mother. The middle one had seventeen segments and a head, unquote. It is matter for remark that no egg-producing organs exist in the new individuals thus budded, which may therefore be named neuters, like the workers among the bees. The last formed individual, however, in the naeus, develops reproductive organs, and thus the continuance of the species in time is duly provided for. In connection with the production of like parts by budding, a process known as that of vegetative repetition of parts, and producing what is known as the serial homology of animals, it is interesting to note that the twenty joints or so of which an anima like the lobster is composed are constructed irrespective of size or function upon one and the same type. The same remark holds good of an insect, of a centipede, of a spider, or other articulated animal. Very striking is it to find that a lobster's feelers really correspond in nature with its legs that its eye-stalks agree with part of the appendages of its tail joints, and that its jaws are simply the feet of the head, so to speak, modified for chewing. 
These varied organs arise from a common type, just as the joints which bear them exhibit a singular uniformity of structure. Hence a lobster or other articulate animal gains the best possible title to be named colonial, in that it is not merely composed of visible units, but also in that these units are modifications of a common and single plan. In connection with the curious phases of worm growth observed in the Naidides, we may note that the individuals of the centipede class increase in size and add new segments to their bodies in a somewhat similar fashion. When a young centipede or galley worm, Julis, is attaining its full growth, new joints are seen to bud out between the last segment but one, and the joints in front thereof, so that the last formed joints in a young centipede are placed towards its tail extremity. If we could imagine that some of these last formed segments developed ahead and separated themselves from the parent frame as a new being, we should possess an exact imitation of the process whereby the young naeus originates from its parent form. An interesting biological speculation has arisen in connection with the personality of those familiar animals, the starfishes. Here we find a central body or disc with, in the common species, five rays or arms, containing each an exactly similar arrangement of the organs of the body diverging therefrom. Heckel's ingenious speculation that, quote, each arm of the starfish essentially corresponds in its organization with an articulated worm, unquote, is objected to by some naturalists, and amongst others by Huxley, who agrees that the starfish, or echinus, may have arisen from a worm stock, but argues that both the starfish and sea urchins owe to secondary modification their characteristic form. Heckel, however, is supported by authority so eminent as Gegenbauer, who remarks that, quote, there is a certain amount of independent organization in each arm of a starfish. Its organs have exactly the same position as the homologous organs of an annulate worm. If, then, we compare each of the budding arms with a worm-like organism, we must regard the starfish developed by this process of gemmation as corresponding to a multiple of such organisms. And further, we must recognize in this phenomenon the same process of gemmation, or budding, as that which takes place in other lower animals, for example, in the compound ascidians, or sea squirts. It is a process, says Gegenbauer, in which several separate animals are simultaneously butted off. The process does not go on till these animals are completely separated, but stops in such a way as to keep them connected together as an individual of higher order. Unquote. We know, as just remarked, of allied cases amongst the sea squirts, where several beings are butted in star-shaped fashion, botrylus, to form a colony. And when we reflect that, as every sea beach shows, a starfish may be deprived of all of its arms, and as one arm may not merely live an independent existence, but will in time reproduce the other four, Heckel's idea that a starfish is really a collection of worm-like beings is seen to be so far supported by comparative anatomy and by the analogies of development as well. The list of animal classes in which a colonial constitution is developed may appropriately enough be concluded with the brief recital of the process whereby the aphides or plant lice which devastate our plants and the bees themselves propagate their race, the latter forming social colonies which in their essential nature may be deemed analogous to the zoophyte stocks of lower life. The single and undivided personality of a bee or an aphis would at first sight seem to admit of no question. 
each presents itself to view as an active being possessing no structural connections with neighbor organisms and evincing all the apparent marks and characters of an ordinary individual but our philosophy relies as already remarked more on the determination of what an organism has arisen from than upon what its apparent constitution may be hence the consideration of a bee's origin contains the answer to the question of its true nature in the reproduction of the bee race certain of the eggs are impregnated or fertilized while the others are allowed to develop without the performance of this process rightly deemed of essential nature to the propagation of both animals and plants now those eggs of a queen bee which she lays in an unfertilized condition invariably develop into drones or male bees whilst the fertilized eggs become females or queens or neuters the latter being merely imperfect females on whom devolves the whole work of the hive in the plant lice the eggs normally produced by both sexes in the autumn lie dormant all the winter and then give rise to wingless female aphides alone these latter produce in viviparous fashion a winged or wingless progeny which in turn repeat the fertility of their parents as huxley remarks quote, the number of successive viviparous broods thus produced has no certain limit but so far as our present knowledge goes is controlled only by temperature and the supply of food aphides kept in a warm room and well supplied with nourishment have continued to propagate viviparously for four years unquote. now close research has disclosed other cases of this apparent violation of the ordinary rules of reproduction in the animal world we know that in certain sawflies some of the female insects will of themselves lay unfertilized eggs which develop into male sawflies in some insects kermes coccus no males have been discovered there are also certain caterpillar-like females among the butterflies and moths for example psyche and solenobia which lay unfertilized eggs giving origin to female insects like themselves whilst from fertilized eggs the two sexes are developed in nearly equal numbers it may be conceded that in the case of the bees as insects of specialized type we are dealing with insects in which true unfertilized eggs develop simply into drone or neuter insects but in the lower plant lice the process is more nearly related to the budding of the zoophyte each aphis produced viviparously from the parent body grows from a structure which whilst it resembles a true egg does not pass through the development of that body and is therefore called a pseudovum gradually this pseudovum grows into the likeness of the aphis which after birth will develop within itself like bodies and thus carry on the work of continuing the species in time if we suppose that the aphides remained connected together instead of preserving a distinct structural identity we should reproduce in this insect tribe an exact facsimile of the zoophyte colony with its budded branches and its ever-increasing wealth of members for plant lice reproduction is in reality a process of budding and the colonial constitution of the insects is really veiled and masked by their freedom from the parent stock they may in truth be compared to those free-swimming jellyfish buds which the zoophyte develops upon and liberates from its branches but which remain nevertheless in the gaze of philosophy essential parts and constituent units of the animal tree which gave them birth lastly let us bear in mind that the egg itself is merely a reproductive bud and that there are gradations thus to be witnessed leading from the true egg with its normal development after fertilization to the pseudovum with its bud-like career 
and finally to the bud itself, which, as we shall see, never attains, let its development be what it may, to the rank of a true individual animal. A glance will serve to show the correspondence between the development of aphides, zoophyte, and plant. In each case, the bulk of the compound organism is provided for by a process of budding, whilst as the colony reaches its higher development, the production of new and independent individuals, through eggs and seeds, respectively, is witnessed. Raison des faits pour nous donner des idées, taking the term ideas as synonymous with that philosophy the praises of which have already been sufficiently extolled. From the array of facts through which we have progressed, what ideas or inferences concerning the origin of animal colonies can be reasonably derived? And firstly, let us inquire what definition biology is prepared to offer as the criterion of animal or plant individuality. It is perfectly clear that some such test of an animal's nature is demanded, for instance, by the very diversity of form and constitution which the animal kingdom presents. An individual animal we may readily define, in respect of its structural constitution, as one in which all its parts and organs exist in such intimate relationship that interference with one organ or series means the disorganization of all. Close and intimately connected structure forms in reality the plainest criterion of the individual animal viewed from that side of biology which regards morphology or structure as the basis of its philosophy. The integral constitution of its material parts is thus the plain test of an animal's individuality from the structural point of view. On such grounds, the man or the dog is obviously a much more typical individual than a newt, which can part with its tail or legs and yet live and develop new members in the place of the injured parts. And the newt, in turn, is a truer individual judged by its structural interdependence than the zoophyte, whose buds as they fall are replaced without material disorganization of its constitution. Professor Asa Gray well sums up the structural view of the individual when he remarks, quote, the idea of individuality which we recognize throughout the animal and vegetable kingdoms is derived from ourselves, conscious individuals, and from our corporeal structure and that of the higher brute animals. This structure is a whole form which no part can be abstracted without mutilation. Each individual is an independent organism, of which the component parts are reciprocally means and ends." Unquote. But another method of viewing the personality of the animal is found in the deductions of physiology. Not what it is, but from what it has originated, is the test of physiological individuality. That alone, in physiological eyes, is an individual animal which is the total result of the full development of a single egg. Whatever a single egg becomes, in other words, represents the individual animal or plant. Testing some of the examples already noted by this criterion, we may readily enough distinguish the true individuality of the animal races we have passed in review. With respect to the personality of the higher animals, this test is susceptible of the plainest illustration. Each quadruped, bird, reptile, fish, oyster, etc., springs from a single egg. When each of the bodies in question has been formed, we know that the full development of the egg or germ has been attained. Hence, each of the aforesaid animals is an individual, pure and simple, when judged by the standard of its representing the total result of a single germ development. With the other illustrations, the case should be equally clear. 
a zoophyte and a sea mat spring each from a single egg and the process of budding gives to each the plant-like form and the colonial organization familiar to us in these beings hence the whole zoophyte and the sea mat in toto are individuals what then it may be asked are the separate members of either colony not individuals for they merely represent parts of a single egg's development but zooids is the biological reply comparable it may be to separate organs and parts in the higher animal but not constituting of themselves individual personalities the cases of the gregorina and sponge are each resolvable without difficulty on the premises just indicated the single gregorina arising from a true process of development is a single individual but the divided gregorina represents a compound personality the whole sponge arising as it does from an egg is an individual and if each of its protoplasmic units be held to be not merely a cell but a semi-independent and amoeba-like organism the sponge is a compound individual in addition so also with a tapeworm or other allied organism the whole worm is one compound personality or one individual because it has arisen from a single egg and because it represents the full development of that body so likewise with the hydra arising from a single egg it gives origin by budding to other hydrae which break away from the parent organism and live an independent existence but as these buds although independent of the parent body nevertheless represent part of the development of the single egg we see that the hydra individual is not the parent hydra alone but that parent plus all the buds or hydrae which are produced by it the next individual existence begins with the production of an egg till that event happens all the hydrae produced by budding or otherwise are merely parts of an individual and have of themselves no distinct personality with the zoophyte and the hydra therefore the case for the individual existence as represented by the compound animal that is by the single animal plus its buds seems clear quoting professor huxley once more we may say that quote, the multiplication of mouths and stomachs unquote, in a zoophyte as the result of the budding of new members of the colony quote, no more makes it an aggregation of different individuals than the multiplication of segments and legs in a centipede converts that arthropod into a compound animal unquote. the zoophyte continues the voice of authority Quote, is a differentiation of a whole into many parts and the use of any terminology which implies that it results from the coalescence of many parts into a whole is to be deprecated unquote. the plant lice are to be viewed in precisely the same light for as professor huxley remarks quote, no doubt it sounds paradoxical to speak of a million of aphides for example as parts of one morphological individual but beyond the momentary shock of the paradox no harm is done on the other hand if the asexual that is the products of the pseudova aphides are held to be individuals it follows as a logical consequence not only that all the polyps on a cordylophora or zoophyte are feeding individuals while the stem must be a stump individual but that the eyes and legs of a lobster are ocular and locomotive individuals and this conception is not only somewhat more paradoxical than the other but suggests a conception of the origin of the complexity of animal structure which is wholly inconsistent with fact unquote. end of section thirty five chapter thirteen 
The Evidence from the Constitution of Colonial or Compound Animals, Part 2.